Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the group of portraits gossiping about Mangum Reads. We are three moguls who didn't know that the chapter in which Dumbledore explained everything meant that he'd explained things from four books ago. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? This this is the explainception chapter at this point. It is covering the entirety of our Harry Potter experience condensed into one what, 26, 29 page segment. It's I mean, but also super on brand that it ends with, oh yes, and I have explanations for all the other things, end of chapter. Yes. <laughs> also, yes, the oh. and and one more thing too is another thing that Dumbledore does here. Yeah. Uh, which um, I like. I, I like what would that. be really funny is like, but Harry, you have to go to bed now, and I'm just going to talk to the portraits and tell them. <laughs> They'll tell you eventually. They'll tell you Harry, eventually. Like, it, like Dumbledore hands him like a cookie or something, and it turns out to be a port key back to his bed. Oh, God. It just exits the conversation <laughs> right there. Actually, those would be really useful to just have around when you are tired of being in any given conversation or social situation. Have a biscuit. <laughs> This is the ultimate way you make house guests leave, is port key cookies to end the night. Correct. Uh, so we are on chapter 37 of the fifth book of Harry Potter. It is the Lost Prophecy. We. I have a question. Have we ever seen Dumbledore give anything to anybody, or do people not take things from Dumbledore <laughs> because they're not the port key? That might be... I don't know that we've seen him give anything to anybody. Uh, I'm not well, sure. When he first learned how to do that spell, there was about a three-year period where people learned, okay, now we don't do this anymore. None of the staff will take anything from him. <laughs> Christmas presents are a nightmare. It would be really funny if one, one year Dumbledore decided to make the sorting hat a portkey. <laughs> oh, no. We lost a lot of kids in the Forbidden Forest that year. <laughs> Hagrid, go get them back. Um. We have some segments that we do here. We have a a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points. And then there are questions and queries of which there can be none because this is, in fact, the chapter in which everything is explained. So I think we can get out of here early. Yep. Uh, It'll be nice, short, and sweet. Cool. Uh in terms of things that are unlikely to be short oh and sweet, God. Sarah, how how the hell are you going to do two minutes for this monster of a I don't know. I certainly am not making a bet. I'm going to just try to get it in under two minutes. The first draft I did of this was three minutes. Then I cut out almost all of the first half of this chapter, and it was still over two minutes. And then I decided, not unlike Harry screams at Dumbledore, he doesn't care about anything anymore and doesn't want to be here. <laughs> Harry's angry. Dumbledore explains. End. Scene. <laughs> Ch- chapter summary, all caps here. <laughs> yep. All right, you got the stopwatch, Spencer? I'm going to reset it. I don't feel confident about this one, I'm not going to lie. There we go. All right, whenever you're ready. Harry's spiraling in Dumbledore's office when the headmaster and his phoenix emerge from the fireplace. He tries to tell Harry he knows how he's feeling, which Harry dismisses out of pocket, as he does the idea that the fact that he can feel pain like this might be his greatest strength. Begin first stretch of all caps text yelling. Dumbledore won't let him leave uh, the office until he's heard him out. He's guessed for years that there's a connection between Harry and Voldemort, and was concerned that as it grew stronger, Voldemort would realize this too, and use that connection to force his way into his mind, possibly to spy on Dumbledore. 
Hence the occlumency lessons and hence them coming from Snape. Dumbledore planted the vision and Creature lied about it. After getting in with Narcissus Malfoy and feeding her information, Harry's mad about Creature. He's mad about Snape. And he's particularly mad about the way Dumbledore talks about Sirius's attitudes towards both. Then we get to the real crux of the matter. Why did Harry have to stay with the Dursleys to keep him alive? Voldemort's always underestimated the power of Harry's mother dying to save him and a lingering protection remained through Petunia. She didn't like him, but she took him in, sealing the charm. Uh, while he still calls Privet Drive home, Voldemort can't touch him there. Harry arrived at Hogwarts relatively safe and sound, and Dumbledore watched him face challenges each year. The problem is that Dumbledore came to care for him so much that he couldn't figure out when exactly to tell him the truth, the prophecy. Voldemort didn't and still doesn't know the full contents, but he knows it declares Harry dangerous to him, hence he's been determined to hear the full thing. It's smashed, but prophecies are always witnessed, and Dumbledore was the one who witnessed it 16 years ago from one Professor Trelawney at her job interview. Dumbledore shows Harry through the Pensieve, the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh moon dies, and the Dark Lord will match mark him as his equal, but he will have the power have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must die at the hands of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. It means Harry, but until Voldemort tried to kill baby Harry and sealed the prophecy, it equally could have been Neville. Harry, understandably, freaks a little bit. One of them has to kill the other in the end. Dumbledore has one last confession. He never made Harry prefect because he thought perhaps he had enough responsibility to be getting on with. God damn, Sarah. 159.52. How did you, 25. How did you pull that off? I don't know. I also fought a cat off in the middle of it. Um, if there were random <laughs> rustlings from my side of the... <laughs> and, and you recited an entire Trelawney prophecy word for word. I... Went back and forth on whether to just do the, and then we have the prophecy, but I do, I know we're going to talk about it later, but I do think it's important to upfront in this chapter, have the prophecy word for word. So there you mm-hmm. go. Very important. BJ. Uh, my, my first wheeze is I was a thousand percent correct about Trelawney and <laughs> I just want it recorded for posterity Props. That, that books Props. and books ago. You did. In fact, I called it. you did in fact call it. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Yep. A useless thing to call, but... However, <laughs> noted <laughs> um, in the record. So, have you guys ever watched a sunrise? Uh, yeah. Yes. How many cool lines of pale green are you used to in observing uh, a sunrise? How much pollution over LA am I looking at it for- through? <laughs> I just... I'm still confused. And... This this seems like another time when something happened and it was very weird. I mean, maybe this is some sort of like weird Scottish fog thing. I don't know. Or maybe a tornado was coming. Um, mm. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen yellow skies. I've seen green skies. Yeah, storms, I mean, I would call like, them green skies. Yeah. Not, yeah, not with the approaching of the dawn, though. Not generally. Uh, it no. is. It is second. <laughs> the second paragraph of, of this yeah. uh, chapter. Yeah. It, it is um, an unnecessary colon yet again, um, but weirdly secondary to other things happening here. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a cool line of pale green along the horizon. Colon. Dawn was approaching. A, a period would have served. A period would have served. I don't. The, I mean, this kind of. I wonder if she was reading the Odyssey and had read about wine dark seas and just was like, oh, well, this is a thing. Sure. Uh, You know, if you don't have the blue cone, maybe it does look green to you. Maybe she's colorblind. I don't know. Uh, There's a theory. 
Uh, I mean, that's how we got Hermione, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um... I honestly don't have a lot of other wheezes, uh, to, to, to be frank. I do have, like, there is one other thing that I find fascinating, which is how Dumbledore talks. Mm. It's, it's weird. Um, Dumbledore has always been weird, but, like, it's more weird. Um, you know, I was thinking while I was doing my notes for this chapter that, like, Obviously, every book has the chapter in which Dumbledore explains things. Of course. But I don't actually think we have heard Dumbledore speak this much ever before. And certainly not uninterrupted like this. I mean, he goes on for pages. I was expecting there to be an intermission. Yeah. I was expecting he was going to need a water break. I don't think, I mean, even like he's like, he's famous for his like opening of year addresses that they're always short and he's just trying to get them Mm -hmm. over with. We, we have not seen him speak one-eighth of this in one sitting. No. It feels a little bit like he's in the confession booth. Yeah. Yes. I, I just, I don't know. There, there were just a bunch of sentences that I was just like, this is, this is a weird, he's not used to talking to, to, to like normal people. Um, and that's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it's just all sorts of, uh, uh, weirdness there. Uh, do you have an example of one that you could give us just so we get a flavor of what you're I was, I was trying to find what you're identifying? Like I, I, I thought I'd like picked one out. Oh. Yes. Mm. While you can still call home the place where your mother's blood dwells, there you cannot be touched or harmed by Voldemort. He shed her blood, but it lives on in you and her sister. Her blood became your refuge. You need to return there only once a year, but as long as you can still call it home, there he cannot hurt you. Your aunt knows this. I explained what I had done in the letter I left with you on her doorstep. She knows that allowing you house room may well have kept you alive for the past 15 years. It's... That's a real weird section, yeah. Yeah. It's it, oddly stylized. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, but it it feels like there is a shift in uh, style a couple of times throughout the paragraph. Mm-hmm. Like, we get these weird, like, almost... Like he's reading out of a magic manual, yep. And then he like talks normally, yep. And then like dips back into it, and this feels like a conversation that was written uh, way before like a lot of the the book was written, mm. and then put in where it was supposed to be. But we never got like the magic manual that he's reading from. Yeah, you know, I think my head canon for this now is that like it seems from this conversation that this sort of like ancient magic charm that Dumbledore has enacted is is something of his own devising. And so he always thinks about it in the terms that he had to use to make the charm work in the first place. Yeah. Well, we also, and I, I, I want to, uh, as, as I did earlier, give myself more props for this <laughs> because I base I, I like we get at the end of the chapter and I have questions, but I know, you know, there aren't actual answers that you can give. about the uh sealed room uh of of great magic that oh yeah my theory is it just contains the blood of various mothers because that's clearly (laughs) god it's a bleeding room jesus i Um, i mean yeah i'm gonna tell you right now we have no idea what i don't think that's ever referenced again i I don't think we 
ever see yeah, it I, again. Like, <laughs> I, I assumed he was just being metaphorical, but we're going we're gonna to get there. Because it was just weird, particularly how he ends it, too. It's like, there's this incredible room, but in reality, the real power is within I, you, Harry. He never really... Wait, there is a room yeah. in the Department of Mysteries that is kept locked at all times. It contains a force that is at once more wonderful and more terrible than death than human intelligence and forces of nature. It is also perhaps the most mysterious of the many subjects for study that reside there. It is the power held within that room that you possess in such quantities and which Vortimult has none at all. And then he doesn't talk about the room again. It eventually ends that Hurt is the greatest superpower. I have to say, like, in real life, Dumbledore would be infuriating to talk to. As much as we like to, like, just dunk on Fudge, it would be rough to have Dumbledore as a report. At least you can actually have a conversation with Fudge, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, is Dumbledore leaning into his Reagan years? <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's what I'm going to say. We're going to have a lot of time to think about that next book. Interesting. Hmm. Do we have a lot? Okay. A lot of, yeah. Interesting. We usually don't get a lot of Dumbledore. I know. <laughs> I know. What? What is is this info dump the norm going forward? We have Dumbledore just narrating nonstop for every chapter going for the rest of the series. The, the next book is Harry Potter and the Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything further, BJ, or shall I get into what is going to be I, a mutual newbie's notes? I'm it sure it is. It is a lot harder to have wizard wheezes when it's just a conversation between two characters that makes very little sense. <laughs> what? Let's start off with the overall purpose of this. Yeah. In my mind, Dumbledore's goal with respect to this entire conversation is to protect Harry from himself and redirect Harry's anger anywhere but inward. To the degree that this is a confession, very much be part of it if he feels guilt. But it seems like his primary objective is, no, 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 Harry, look here, I want you to be mad at me right now. I want yeah. to ground you in mm-hmm. events, in descriptions, in the past, and anywhere other than you're in your own head, because you're just going to hurt yourself. But also, like, it, and it's interesting because even from his explanations, like, Harry clearly fucked up. And, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a, I'm going to confess problems that happen, but, like... Well, and, and it's fun because I don't think this is a writing error. I think J.K. Rowling purposely wrote this in there. Several of Dumbledore's statements are just demonstrably false. Yeah. But he's trying to convince Harry they're true right now. Yeah. Just to help harry emotionally cope yeah because like, harry really is spiraling like all the way through this chapter to, yeah. to a degree unlike we've ever seen yeah. we, i feel like we've said that like nine of the last ten chapters <laughs> that harry is spiraling to a degree like we've never seen but this one it's just straight up property damage threatening violence thinking violence wanting life and all of its pain associated with it to be done and over this is Harry at his absolute worst. Dumbledore sees that and is just throwing everything at him he can to both distract him, but also give him some basis to not want just the end of all things to occur right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sorry, I was just gonna say, and I think that Dumbledore realizes that like he has played out the I can hide things from Harry as far as it's gonna go. Um, and so he's got to he's got to get that done. Yeah, and that is his sin that he's yes, confessing yes. to. That is the that is his ultimate fallibility. Effectively, he fell in love with his charge. He fell in love with somebody he was supposed to maintain a certain degree of 
distance from for the sake of fulfilling ultimate objectives, but he got too invested. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to see the transition occur that even in his own description of where, yeah, I put you with the Dursleys, I knew it was going to suck, but my objective was that you would be protected. Transitioning to once he meets Harry, yeah, my objective was ultimately to defeat Voldemort and ensure the overlasting over good of our society, but I cared about you too much to actually do that in the ways I needed to. It, w it was fun to see that transition occur between objectives and how they were actually performing in reality based on how distant he was from Harry. Mm -hmm. uh, but BJ, like you said, Harry is, pl and Sarah, you too, Harry's plainly at fault. He is actually, I think, demonstrably, as we've discussed over the course of the book, primarily at fault. You can go into indirect sources, you can go into causative factors, but direct events were driven by Harry. Intentionally, the enemy set that up. But Dumbledore does not want Harry to think about that right now. He's trying to give him enough alternatives that maybe in his head he'll seize on one of those. Because that is just a spiral to further destruction. Uh, BJ, I have to ask, though. Sarah, I'm, I'm going to leave you out of this yep. for right this moment. I got earmuffs on or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. BJ, you, we've ranted for a while about Dumbledore purposely keeping us out of the loop. Purposely keeping Harry out of the loop. It has been one of the most recurring threads in all of these books. J.K. Rowling, very much author insert speaking to the audience, has provided us a laundry list of explanations for why all of that occurred in each book. Is this enough? Is this convincing? I'm curious to ask you. I mean, I, I, is this enough and is this convincing? Sure. I mean, but, like, she decided to write it that way. So, like, it, 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 it's a... <laughs> It, it is five books in here reading the explanation. <laughs> and, but, you know, it, like, it, it's a, it's, I, there, I sort of understand it because of how the books are being told, but it's a very weird choice because the books aren't quite first person and they're not, mm -hmm. like, third person video game where it's third person but you only follow Harry ever. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it doesn't feel like the reasons to not let the reader in on what's going on really make sense. But like, I don't know. I haven't like really thought about what that would mean for like what's going on with Harry. And yeah. like, would that make you really frustrated with Harry because he's clearly doing dumb things or, and, but, but the other side of it is like, I feel like the things that we could have overheard or, Harry could have overheard and still been the same is like, hey, we have important things to discuss. And while, you know, I would love to do it, it, like explain it to the children, I don't think that they're like old enough yet. And that would set every child off in the same way as like <laughs> being sent to their room, if not more so, but also like let you in a little bit as opposed to like, having like the weird back like n not quite explanation that we've had throughout the books yeah I, i'm in the same category of where i buy it i accept it i think it could have been set up better and just letting us as the reader in a little bit more would have made this kind of payoff i think a little bit more successful than what is instead a info dump of, of several different books kind of explanation for things and but the other side of that and is like the target audience like we're not the target audience and so I feel like for the audience and the age that she was writing for, if you had a what I'm like, what I think what I like, what I'm saying, I feel like is an okay bridge. But if you had a little bit more of an explanation of what was going on, I think they would feel spoiled. Mm -hmm. And 
that or or like the the plot would be spoiled for them. Mm. So I think that that engenders a very weird problem with like how you write it. I I I don't know what a good turn here is. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the part of the thing is that, and I can speak directly from experience with this, is when if you're reading sure. in the age that Harry is, as you like, you so hard identify with Harry as you are going through these books that it doesn't like the weirdness about whether they are um, sort of like how narrow a third person they are or how close to first person from Harry from a weird third narrator position. Like it doesn't really matter. Um, And because you identify with Harry um, so closely, the idea like you, I think I haven't thought about this particularly specifically in this way and I think it's an interesting question I think that having like hints dropped about like oh there's more information that you'll we'll give you when you're older like I think that that would have rang false for the way the narrative works um mm. and false for the way the characters interact with each other and also just like wouldn't have been interesting reading while you're because you're like well yeah obviously I mean you're reading this and you're like well yeah obviously there's stuff we're not being told the book is figuring out the stuff we're not being told so yeah and <laughs> having guess, an adult tell you uh, yeah I, I, maybe I later. guess sort of what I'm saying is like the the snippets of conversation that he keeps overhearing with the adults in the room if like Sirius and uh, maybe uh, a Weasley or somebody was just like. I think it would be better if, like, we told them and Dumbledore being like, I get that, but, like... Well, we get that from between other adults. It's not with Dumbledore, uh, um, because Dumbledore has to be a sort of aloof figure, but we get it with Sirius and Molly all the time at the beginning of this book. Um, yes, at the beginning of this in, book. In yes. Grimmel Place, um, we yeah. get it between Molly and Arthur in the third book, Um specifically about Sirius, but it is mm. completely yeah. the conversation about like what should Harry appropriately be able to know given his age and, and situation. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I mean, I think we do get those conversations. It, 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 one of the things that will affect my opinion of it is just how much Harry and Dumbledore's relationship changes going forward. If we return to the same format of the prior books where Dumbledore is now an aloof figure that is keeping Harry out, I'm going to rebel because I don't think that can exist given the tonal shift that has now occurred of where, since we didn't get any of that insight into mm-hmm. Dumbledore, Dumbledore mm-hmm. before, since he was always in a, a purposely closed off figure. And now we get him barring his soul seemingly to Harry for whatever purpose we can debate. I will be very interested to see how much the character of Dumbledore and how he's presented changes from here yeah. or whether she tries to put him back in the box now that he's ended the book. I um I'm excited to get into the sixth book with you all and see how what you think about what that relationship is. I'll be curious. Yeah. A uh, couple rapid fire things. I kind of just love that Dumbledore chooses to arrive by completely different means than he sent Harry. Oh, D- like, Dumbledore has no use for a porky. He does not want any such thing. <laughs> we know that I he can make porky. I imagine that he's like it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like he gives me indigestion. <laughs> Somebody get me some flu powder. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fox being a little baby chick, just watching this entire conversation very much amuses mm-hmm. me. Um, I'm curious about, uh, how do we pronounce the uh, Sirius's uh, relatives pick up, um, painting on the wall? Oh. Phineas Nig- Nigellus? 
Yeah, Nigellus, maybe. Nigellus? Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was a hard eye yeah. or not. But his reaction is interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see if we get any more of that in the next chapter, of where he's been outright dismissive and condemning of Sirius of not representing the family namesake. But he, pre- he acted the way I kind of predicted of where the idea that someone killed a black, though, is an insult to family yeah. honor. Yeah, he's a black sesame seed. <laughs> the fact it's going to be inter- even more interesting to see him process the fact that a black family distaff in the form of Be- Bellatrix, who she's related to the family, she's a cousin. She's right? a cousin of Sirius, yeah. Um, and so the f- yeah, the fact it's interfamily homicide mm-hmm. is also going to be interesting too. Mm-hmm. Uh let's see here. Uh, one of Dumbledore, Dumbledore generally is pretty successful in getting Harry distracted. He offers one line that if I was Harry, I'd find exceptionally infuriating in this given moment. Mm. But when Dumbledore takes the pain to say, the fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. <laughs> if someone told me that when I'm in Harry's state, it would it would have the effect of putting gasoline on a fire. Which in fact it does here. <laughs> Harry is so, out of his mind. <laughs> but I, I do see it as one of the moments of where Dumbledore isn't maintaining perfect success in this conversation. No, he's he flailing a little bit. He's flailing, he's saying things, he's trying to play catch-up, and I found that quite endearing. Mm-hmm. I found that very realistic to see that Dumbledore is offering things that we as the reader can just say is not true, like that Harry is completely not at fault, or that later he offers the comment that um, Sirius was far too, what, mature or something else to not be bait- to be baited by one of Snape's comments. Oh, yeah. It's like, did, Sir. did we know the same Sirius? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> but so, th- this mm-hmm. chapter felt like uh, the chief of police is sitting down with uh, the Scooby-Doo crew after, like, they pulled guns and somebody actually got killed. And it's <laughs> just like, all right, we got to do something here. Like, uh, I guess it's not your fault. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, like, yeah, things were going on and we didn't bring you into the loop because you're the fucking Scooby-Doo crew and there was a <laughs> homicide going Like, I... Uh, but really, yeah, the, real, yeah. the, the real truth is, I just liked the dog too much. I just couldn't, you know, spoil the dog's <laughs> day. Uh, but yeah, that, that was an infuriating line. But Dumbledore's common understanding, it's appropriately infuriating, Sarah, as you know, that it does set Harry off. One of like four times that Harry returns to all caps in this chapter. Yep. Um, but overall, Dumbledore's calm and measured understanding of Harry gives the notion that he has either seen this pain before or he has personally experienced this pain before, mm. and he has a certain measure of expertise when it comes to helping someone process their way through it. I mean, there there is an aspect of, uh, let's say, an anime to this this book, mm. which is, I, my understanding is that the last Wizarding World involved a whole bunch of Hogwarts students, and so students being out of depth and Dumbledore or at least barely adults, and Dumbledore sort of being there and being like, yeah, like, shit was crazy, and you <laughs> are a teenager and have emotions, and I get that, uh, but you kind of need to sit down and chill, uh, and here are some hard truths. It, it does add an interesting dimension to the character to ponder how many times he's had this similar conversation mm. with, you've had, you, you've had a very adult growing up experience and just lost someone you care about, I'm here for you for this. In fact... I'm here for you to the degree that the only thing I'm going to refuse you is leaving you alone or letting you walk away right now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to be here for you. Uh, weren't there regular deaths at Hogwarts prior to, like, in, in the Triwizard Tournament and in other the, things? Uh, like, 
in the like seventies and prior. Yeah, but the Triwizard Tournament hadn't been held for. Oh, that was a lot longer, like a hundred like, yeah, years or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, but I feel like there were commonly deaths at Hogwarts back in the day. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't think in Dumbledore's okay tenure as headmaster specifically, because I think we know Moaning Myrtle, and that's about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Moaning Myrtle was actually not when Dumbledore was headmaster. He was a Transfiguration teacher. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, that was Armando Dippet. Not one, to be confused one, with Armando Baycott, who is an excellent UNC basketball <laughs> Go on, Spencer. Sorry. <laughs> appreciate that little interlude right there. Uh, Snape is becoming an ever more fascinating character because now we have two people that have polarly opposite views on him describing him. And it makes it all the more stark that Snape that we have seen on screen versus Snape that apparently occurs off screen come across as two completely different characters. And that is driven by forced perspective and point of view Mm -hmm. of where Harry hates Snape. Snape doesn't like Harry. When they interact directly, we see Snape at his worst. Dumbledore, in the meanwhile, seems to trust Snape more than anyone else in his life and has perspective on the things that what Snape's actual actions are rather than just how he carries himself. And so seeing those two forces meet and describe a character to each other, it is fascinating to see Harry just act like, I literally don't know how to process this because to me you're describing someone I've never met. But apparently, off screen, Snape is the ultimate hero of the entire damn story. (laughs) Uh, See here. Creature's responsibility. Uh, Dumbledore comes at this real hard from a kind of societal chickens coming home to roost about how we in the world treat house elves. In a way that almost reaches too much understanding and forgiveness. Because what he's telling Harry is that Creature, upon being instructed to just go away, chose to interpret those rules of, okay, I'll go spy from the enemy and directly set up Sirius's death. Intentionally. We also get planned. weird details about house elves that are all <laughs> sorts of problematic. Yeah. Yep. All sorts of problematic, and I get that Dumbledore has a lot of sympathy for the house elves, more so than may, may have even realized previously, other than him previously letting in various house elves that were been exiled mm-hmm. to um, Hogwarts. But Creature did a lot, not just out of, you know, oh, poor house elves. He did a lot out of just sheer malevolence. He was cackling mad in terms of how much he enjoyed this here at the end. He also apparently stabbed Buckbeak, which is just very casually just thrown in there, too. Um, He's a creature of habit. In terms of habits, does Dumbledore kind of vaguely imply that he either forced, coerced, or even tortured creature to get information? Oh, yeah, heavily implied that that he tortured. I mean, he creature. I he may not have physically tortured creature, but he certainly forced. He uh, as a legilimens, he did what Snape does to Harry in the Occlumency lessons. Like that is what that is. That was he he said. He says he's uh, he's powerful with that and. He convinced Creature to spill the beans. It, it was interesting that he's telling Harry everything else. Yes. But when he reaches that point, he's just like, it's a little black and I yeah. Yeah. persuaded him. Are forces a problem against non-humans? Uh, uh, can you imagine with this hmm. uh, Ministry of Magic's position on all kinds of things that it would be a problem to do any of this to non-humans? Mm. I, I don't know which way you're leaning, but I'm leaning that they 
couldn't care. No, they don't give a shit. Of course they don't. Not not my joy. (laughs) So so that's where I'm just like, did Dumbledore use Cruciatus? Uh, Maybe. It, it makes it all the more interesting because he's presenting Creature as a pitiable figure. It's almost like a golem kind of figure of, you know, if only Sirius had had greater empathy and understanding and effort and we as a society towards ourselves look at these events that could have been avoided. And there's an implication on the scene. But oh yeah, in the moment, I tortured his ass to get the information I wanted. It's like, such things need to be done for the sake of the greater good. Yeah, Dumbledore had a thing that needs to, needed to happen and whatever his sort of abstract thoughts about it, it also anything re- doesn't matter. It also just reiterates again how much he is desperately trying to make Harry blame no one but him. Mm-hmm. Like all these other characters that are responsible, all these other characters that play a role, he's like, nope, nope, we should pity that character. Nope, nope, serious. It, it was understandable what occurred. All on me. Um, I'm curious to discuss a little bit in questions. That's one question I'll, I will ask concerning the familial blood bond and the protection that it offers and the ancient magic charm that Dumbledore apparently mixed into that to make Harry's ultimate protection happen. Um, is that is extending what we knew about that particular charm far beyond anything we pondered before, and is said providing finally the justification for why Dumbledore was sticking Harry with an abusive family. Mm-hmm. That, again, his main objective was Harry staying alive. Happiness was tertiary at best until he actually got to know him. The nature of prophecies in my mind in this book's business previously are inherently self-fulfilling that is what prophecies exist to do in any aspect of literature is the moment you know that a prophecy exists your own actions of knowing it are going to help fulfill it it seems to be the plain direction they're going with this it seems if anything as you noted sarah the prophecy has that built into it stated out Mm -hmm. that bj yes i just thought of something and i have a question but it's not the time yet questions will occur it, it, it It's self-fulfilling to the degree I don't even think Dumbledore fully acknowledges that he was like, no, 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 Harry, it was always meant to be you. It was always going to be you because Voldemort would, was, calls for in the prophecy to pick. It seems to be leaving out the element of, yeah, but that was arbitrary. If he'd gotten to, you know, Neville first, it would have been Neville, right? Is that what the prophecy is basically saying here? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think, and I think it's a little circuitous, but I do, I still think that's what Dumbledore is saying. Like, it doesn't matter... I think his point is that, like, it doesn't matter. It's you now. Yeah, at this point, it doesn't matter that it could have been someone else. Mm -hmm. The part of the prophecy that was fulfilled, you're marked. Like, it's done. There's no going back from that. It also still could kind of be Neville. I mean, a very similar series of events occurred with respect to these two characters. If anything, Dumbledore was being kind of... Not Dumbledore. Voldemort was being kind of systematic... Because he sent somebody to kill Neville's parents and also try to get to Neville too, right? I don't know that we have any indication that uh, they tried to get to Neville. We had, that's actually a bit, of, a bit of a gap in our knowledge is how where Neville was and how he avoided the torture and brutal and, and brutal um, maiming, I'll say, of his parents. Yeah, I mean yeah. that that was more like they they were tortured in that way because of their key involvement with the Order of the Phoenix. Um, Harry's parents. And that was done by Bellatrix, not Voldemort. Um, mm-hmm. So for the prophecy to have been fulfilled in the way that you're suggesting, it would have had to have been Voldemort doing uh, any of that. But, but what about an agency relationship? She was acting on Voldemort's will. I don't I mean, think prophecy works like that. <laughs> how do we know? I think this one is very Spencer, Voldemort specific. against Voldemort <laughs> yeah. is not allowed to progress. I, I, we're years into building up that case, BJ. <laughs> you're not stopping me at this point. 
Uh, BJ, like you already highlighted, the room in the Department of Mysteries thing. I, Sarah, Sarah you already basically told us that's never going to show up It's never going to show up again. Just ignore it. Move on. It's, you're never it, it, going to get any it's, more it's information the, uh, about it. I am legend room where he has all the vials of blood that he's been testing for years <laughs> and years and years. And fi- like finally found something, finally found a protective blood vial. Uh, and it happened to be Harry. It, it, it was so out of nowhere and it was so not explained. I interpreted it as being metaphorical. That his goal here is to say that heart is the real power and that he's saying that at the basis of the Ministry of Magic, heart is what ultimately drove everything and heart is what built our society. And you, Harry, represent and embody the values of our society more than anyone else. But I also kind of love the idea that there is an actual room with people in the Department of Mysteries, which we know fuck all about still, even despite the fact we've spent like at least a quarter of this book in the Department of Mysteries, uh, who are studying heart blood magic <laughs> morale <laughs> it's blood magic um, for morale bj let's <laughs> maybe um so so what happened is jk rowling got made fun of uh because her favorite captain planet uh kid was the weird <laughs> monkey kid that yeah that with had the heart, heart and then decided that she had to write an entire series whose crux was Heart wins. I, I, I freaking adored Captain Planet as a kid. I would watch that almost every morning before school. And no matter the age, I still thought that Heart was the lamest superpower <laughs> that any of those kids got. So I, I appreciate the effort, J.K. Rowling. You didn't convince me with this extended monologue. At the beginning <laughs> and the end. At the beginning he goes into this, and at the end he throws it in again, and I'm still not sold. Well, sometimes you just got to try things again in a different emotional state and see if it sticks. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of interpreting the prophecy, Harry makes a leap that Dumbledore agrees with that does not seem to match my read on the prophecy necessarily of where Harry basically says, well, you know, one of us has to kill the other. That's what the prophecy says. And Dumbledore says, yes, that's true. And I, we could pull up the exact text, but I don't Spencer, read the are you mad? Of, am I mad? Yeah. But he, that one of them's not going to kill the other necessarily? No, mutual assured destruction, Spencer. <sighs> I walked into that one so hard. <laughs> but, but, Sarah, if you've got it in front of yeah. you, the last line of the prophecy, it does not in any way say, in my, my read, that one of them is necessarily going to have to kill the other. And either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can uh, live while the other survives. I've missed out the, the hand of the other part. Mm-hmm. So it, it, this is indeed suggesting some degree of violence. I'll be curious to see the spin on that, because I... I don't picture the end of this book being Harry killing someone. That was kind of the point I was going. I was eventually going to is that I I don't think the author will go that far as having Harry as dark as this series may get mm-hmm. murder hey, another person. Hey Spencer, I'm gonna reference uh, one of uh, a movie that uh, had something like this in it. Um, Which movie? Uh, it was uh, filmed in New Zealand. Um, oh, did it involve people of varying sizes and pointiness of ears? Yeah, it was based <laughs> on a mediocre book series, as some good movies are. Uh, uh, now, uh, now, you, now you lost me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, so, uh, can't be killed by a man? Uh, you expe- you are, I, by no I'm man. I'm expecting some spin on this, sure. So, if there are two children that this could be... There aren't and, anymore, no. There two children that this could have been yeah mm-hmm. and the the prophecy reads that 
either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. That could just be Neville, is the other. Again, Neville being my boy, if Neville ends this series straight up killing the Dark Lord, I'll be in. You don't don't have to sell me on it. Uh, In terms of the... I I do kind of adore that the close of this chapter of Dumbledore building up to, and my biggest regret, the biggest... Didn't realize you had a copy of Lord of the Rings, BJ. Uh, Dumbledore's biggest regret, what he's building to, the culmination of this entire reveal is how much he regrets that he couldn't pick Harry as a prefect. It's It's just, it's a weird total whiplash to end the chapter that feels intentional by the author about... And that's where we see Dumbledore crying, is that, yep, I felt you had too much on your plate before, so I didn't feel comfortable naming you as a prefect. I think it is a kind of sweet... um... It shows, again, just how much he individually cares. Yeah, I don't, yeah. This idea that he's watching Harry, like, as a child, still, like, continually struggling with all of the, like, weight of this responsibility, even if he doesn't really know what the extent of the responsibility is. Like, these have been, like... Terrible, traumatizing ends of books each year. Yeah. It's also recognizing we're probably much meant to his hair to go into his parents' footsteps. Because wasn't his dad a prefect? Yes. Um, no, Lupin was. Lu- Lupin was a prefect. That's right. I don't think. I don't think I, I Harry's dad was. Vague memory. I would expect Lily to have been a prefect. I'm pretty sure not. she was. Yeah. But I don't. I could say that, certainly. I know Lupin was. Lupin might have been head boy as well. I can't remember. But I don't, I think that in the, I think that everybody, what's making me think this specifically is all of the comparisons we get between Fred and George and Sirius and James. Um, Mm -hmm. And no one in the right mind would ever make Fred and George a prefect. (laughs) Nope. They're up to no good. They are solemnly and swornly up to no good. Speaking of, well, Sarah, in terms of who won, who lost this chapter, we don't have many characters. No, at all, we do not. We don't. Do our characters uh, have to be in the room to have won or lost this chapter? These are so your I think rules, Fox Sarah. Is a winner. Fox was reborn. He's going to have Fox a, took a good another life. Yeah, Fox absolutely won. Um, the other portraits are very excited that Dumbledore is back. He mm-hmm. has been uh, gone Phineas. for half a book. Is Phineas might be a, a loser. loser. Phineas is definitely a loser. He's going to be real mad uh, when rumors are confirmed. I, but between, you know, kind of between Harry and Dumbledore, I don't think, I don't know. Harry's a winner. Like, yes, he has, he starts yeah. the chapter off terribly. I mean, he doesn't have any, or, or he doesn't have a whole lot of emotional growth or like obvious improvement. But like he's given the tools for it, yeah. Yeah. By being given this information, as terrible as this information is, he is given a lot of tools and resources by which, if he takes that and uses it correctly, he could grow significantly. He's also given the opportunity to have one of the most cathartic moments that a teenager can have. He is given the floor to call an adult on their shit. Yes, which Dumbledore kind of lets him do for a while. Yeah. Dumbledore, <laughs> Dumbledore's like, I have a lot of things. Go for it. <laughs> but, <laughs> Took the wind it, right out of his sails. I mean, as we talked about with Dumbledore's speech not being perfect and there being flaws, Harry gets the opportunity to talk about some of the built-up yeah. resentment he's had yeah. for Dumbledore. He gets to call Dumbledore out on some inconsistencies in what he's presenting. And he's never really had that opportunity before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And, you know, I don't think it's a binary because I certainly don't think that Dumbledore is necessarily a loser by the end of this chapter. It was, a, I think, a tough chapter for him, but I don't, like, he did what he had to do in this chapter. Um, yeah. So maybe it is <laughs> Phineas is the is the loser here. It might be a little bit by default Dumbledore, or uh, Voldemort, simply because Voldemort <laughs> still does not have the full content. He's not in the room. Of... We haven't seen him. <laughs> He's automatically disqualified. I don't he was discussed a lot. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would definitely agree. I, I, he I was there in spirit. Think, <laughs> it, I, I really don't think it can be Dumbledore because either a all of this is just Dumbledore trying to make Harry feel better, in which case he succeeded, or at least help Harry in this emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Or b it's Dumbledore barring his soul, yeah. in which case all of this has been inside the entire damn book, and now he's able to finally talk with someone else about the guilty. Phase. It's cathartic, and yeah. presumably he's doing this for a reason that will be plot relevant. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Um, all right. That is the crux of the matter. Well, then I'm going to go. I'm going uh, Harry and, and Phineas, since Phineas was, in fact, in the in the room. Um, mm-hmm. And suffered greatly. And suffered greatly. Perhaps. Uh, we, we, we also make, I have to give at least a slight nod to Trelawney, of where we finally have explained the reason that Voldemort's been keeping her around. BJ, thank you for calling it. That's true. Uh, but the text is acknowledged. BJ was right. Maybe BJ's the winner of this chapter. Who can say? Um... <laughs> This but, is the chapter in which BJ's theories were mostly proven correct, but none yeah. of the and big not ones. even something I was like partially spoiled on. Like I had no knowledge of. Yes, yeah, 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 whatsoever. Uh, no, it was cr- very clear from the way you were talking around some of these things that you had no knowledge of this <laughs> whatsoever. But cr- credit for her from the description, acing a job interview and proving at varying moments in her life that she does have the true ability. I know. I love that Dumbledore also knows that like 99.8% of the time she is in fact full of shit, but she made a real prophecy and therefore <laughs> I'm keeping we her must around. protect her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Question. Questions. How long do phoenixes live in their natural lifespan? Or are they immortal and it just takes, you know, injury or death to just reset them? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, but I do feel like that is very quickly Googleable in some way, shape, or form. So I'm going to see if I can figure out an answer to that. Because uh, so, we, we, we have seen Fox incinerate himself, basically, to recreate himself. Mm-hmm. And we've seen him now take a bullet. I'm, curi- I'm curious how long it's going to take for baby fox to grow up, and also whether there is actually an end of a natural lifespan, or is it just effectively voluntary or environmental? I don't know. According to uh, Swarthmore College, and this is not Harry Potter specific, but Swarthmore College will tell you that the fabled bird is said to live 500, year- 500 years or more. Oi. We may not see fox growing up again before this story is over. <laughs> or it's like. Well, he grows pretty fast. And... I mean, yeah. he yeah, he gets to maturity pretty quickly it's happened before yeah. this is true yeah. yes or fox is not mature like when he took the bullet like we don't know that he was mature he could have been like the i will say that the harry potter wiki does say that they actually they grow back to full size and maturity within a matter of like days to weeks um oh, Lord. yeah so like when they are reborn they grow back quickly but if you only see it as we get in that scene in book two i guess um, if you only see the phoenix on burning day, you're going to see the worst at both ends of the life. Interesting. Well, this, this may explain why Fox was so casual about taking a bullet for Dumbledore. Then to him, death is cheap. He will return in short order. <laughs> so is it still, is it molten molting when that happens? <laughs> yes, BJ. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> so is 
Dud- was Dudley taking the bullet for Harry basically part of the blood magic? So the um the Hufflepuff kid? No, no, no. Dudley, Dudley so with the Dementor? Over the summer, yeah. Oh, right, sure. I don't think so. I like does does that protective blood magic extend into Dudley or is it just like a does it extend outside the house cuz they were out and about out and about They were out and about. I don't think so. They were and I'm around the house though. They were, they, they were they like were blocks away though. Yeah. Um and I'm trying to remember because I don't I mean I don't think that the blood magic is that Harry is protected from any harm in the house. I think he's protected from Voldemort entering the house. And maybe it, it Death Eaters, the, I'm not sure. It has this interesting connotation of where Dumbledore has effectively hijacked the remnants of a spell that he doesn't have full control over and understand, yeah. and has found a way to extend it or stretch it in a way that is not perfect, but is providing some measure of security that otherwise would be lacking. Mm-hmm. I guess that also begs the question of, like, how much of Harry's magic... Echo. What? I'm just saying it's an echo of the old spell. Mm-hmm. How, like, how much of Harry's magic is is sort of this echo? Because, I mean, we've talked a little bit about um, their... Oh, I'm blanking on the spell. Uh, the protection spell where you manifest a creature. Uh, the Patronus. Patronus, yeah. Yeah, Patronus. Mm-hmm. Like, he has his father's Patronus, mm-hmm. which is... Is that normal, that you, like, inherit a Patronus from somebody? Or We don't know. We don't really get any information on that. But I, I don't think it necessarily is i think they're supposed to be super specific to you as an individual and i think that the implication is that harry's maybe not like as individual in several different ways as most other people we interact with are yeah Um, i feel like both from his parents and from voldemort yeah i think lupin was kind of like oh that's interesting yeah yeah Yeah, that i i remember that too so that feels that feels right. I do. I think that Harry suffers from like a lot of that lingering, a lot of lingering Generally, stuff. Yeah. Generational trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has been years that we've gone over these books, so I know we've asked this question before, but I legitimately just don't remember. Can you explain Secret Keepers to me again? Because it's talked about in this chapter with respect to creatures. Yeah. So there is a um, there is, and this is again one of those kind of like it's squidgily ancient magic mixed mm-hmm. with modern magic um but this is uh we first saw it in um i think it was actually probably referenced first referenced in the first chapter of the first book um but we first (laughs) got it explained in that in that context of um when lily and james went into hiding with harry as a baby um if you have a secret keeper you tell no one else where you're going um, except for your secret keeper, and that essentially makes the the place where you are hiding um, almost like Hogwarts, like it's undetectable. Nobody can, people could look in the windows of the house and not know that you are in there. Like there's something, like there's a real, um, a real uh, hidden nature kind of like, behind what happens. It, they did the same at Grimmauld Place, uh, which yeah. is where they're referencing the secret, secret keeper here in relation to creature creature was not the secret keeper therefore he there were all kinds of things he couldn't talk about um in relation to where the house is who was there what was going on there etc 
I mean, it's an interesting building off the idea that reality is what you perceive it, mm -hmm. and that if you isolate the ability of anything else to perceive or have knowledge of something, you're effectively confining reality. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how J.K. Rowling took out uh, semicolons from the use of the English language <laughs> with a couple of her books, telling somebody the secret <laughs> takes it out of the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it. Uh, it, is the implication here that house elves can't be secret keepers or just maybe the creature was not made one? I don't know that we know that, um, that he couldn't necessarily have been one, but he certainly was not made one. Um, it sounds mm. like they might generally be secret keepers, though. House elves also, like the magic that binds house elves to families has its own set of like rules and conditions around it, too, which is, to your point, BJ, ah. like not that different in effect of how secret keepers work. Interesting. Um, so, but again, with this idea of blood magic, he, creature was able to go to Narcissus Malfoy because she is a living blood relative of the, the black family. Yeah. yeah. Um, who are the Hogwarts house elves pledged to? They are, I believe they're pledged to the castle itself. Mm-hmm. Dobby, they might be pledged to the headmaster if you've got somebody. Like, it's a little squidgy. The, I think Dobby is is pledged to Dumbledore, not. Um, Wait, Do Dobby's Dumbledore's ace in the hole. Yeah, Dobby's uh, free. Exactly. Dobby's well, that's free. okay. So he's actually not pledged to anyone. But you also see the ways in which he continues to subscribe yeah. to some of like what would have been enforced by magic through yeah. free will. But that's a good point. So we the reason make that distinction. That I ask is, uh, I could imagine that is one of the reasons that uh, certain governmental agencies don't trust uh, Dumbledore, because how many, like how many, how many house elves does Hogwarts have? I mean, I an think army. it's yeah, it's an army. Like and I think it's hundreds. I don't. <laughs> their power is basically what the person that controls them tells them to do. Yeah. I'm trying, yeah, and so I, I am trying to remember if we, if we get any more information about this, because my instinct is that it's to the castle, that there's like something slightly different, mm -hmm. because it's not a family-based institution, right? Yeah. Like, it's not a family household, you're not being pledged to a family, so it doesn't make sense for it to be a headmaster, because that's going to come and go, and it doesn't have anything to do with bloodlines. Um, They're pledged to the sorting hat. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it does raise concerns when you have these powerful individuals who have a magic that is kind of older and in some ways not not as controllable by wizards from what we have seen, and they could be completely subject to the whim of another individual, and as we see in this chapter, they're not in any way three law compliant. So, yeah, it is a potential army to bring to bear if someone yeah. wishes. I like the idea that maybe they couldn't necessarily fight they might be uh they might have taken essentially Aes Sedai oaths that they can only defend mm. the castle they cannot in fact attack on behalf of the castle I'm going to continue with this theory that uh they are actually all beholden to uh the sorting hat because why else would a piece of clothing free them I love it <laughs> I'm here for it the sorting hat set this in place so they'd always carry his votive around with them. <laughs> this is I their mean, mark, mark there of the were, cross. Like, uh, some put down of the house elves and probably other uh, species at some point. Yep. And 
They just got sorted into houses in a different way. I like it. Uh, they're all wearing like little medals of St. Christopher, just in honor of the sorting hat. <laughs> um, do we want to do our favorite part of the episode? Do we have other questions? Uh, I, I think I'm good. Um, I, so this is one of the few chapters where the uh, beginning of the chapter was on the, the right Yeah, the last. Side. You can see both of them. And it's a, it's a doozy. It's a weird one, yeah. So this is actually the last chapter of this book that we are coming up to. Chapter 38. The, s- the, second-, the second war begins. That's it. Hell of a uh, chapter title. And I think we're getting to actually see other characters again. I know. Yeah, we're not just locked in a, in a one-room play with Harry and Dumbledore anymore. I mean, I do have a last question. Yeah. Be- because we, we do usually describe who's in the picture. Yep. So is that Tonks... Tonks Moody, on the right. Tonks and Lupin. Yep. Moody, and I I guess that's Lupin. It's not Kingsley. No. Definitely not Kingsley. No. Snape? I don't think that's no. Snape. Sna- the, guy, the guy's smiling. I think that's Lupin. Okay. I think that's Lupin. We and, usually get, if we have Snape, we usually get like a recognizable A sharper nose. Version of Snape. I mean, it's a yeah. sharp nose, but yeah. I think and it's is Lupin. That, and is that McGonagall? On the, on the I do think yeah, it McGonagall, is. I thought McGonagall's... Uh, a calico or like an orange tabby or something. I didn't think she was a black cat. I think she's a striped cat, but I also okay. think we might be taking some liberties here. Maybe she was in formal garb and that's why it's a touch. There we go. I oh. love it. Oh, it'd be adorable. <laughs> I would like that so much. I would give a whole new expression to the cat's pajamas. Yes. Oh. And that's why she's usually a calico or a striped because she's just wearing a house dress. <laughs> the tartan shows up again and turn it. All right, now, uh, yeah, we'll, let's end on that note. We're folks. done. We're done. This has been fun, guys. Until next time.